Welcome to Amplify Your Process Safety, the podcast that provides the experience and expertise you need when it comes to process safety and risk management. Our hands-on approach will give you the insight needed, whether you're new to industry or process safety, in a role where you interact with aspects of process safety, or an experienced process safety professional. Join us in our mission to protect people, the companies they work for, and the communities where they operate by making process safety knowledge available to all. Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the Amplify Your Process Safety podcast. This is Rob Bartlett. In this episode, it is my pleasure to be joined by process safety consultant Mike Robertson. Mike has worked with us at Amplify on a handful of projects, including on some dust hazard analyses, which just happens to be the subject of today's podcast. So I thought it would be a good idea to have him on to, uh, to ask him some questions about those. A little bit of background about him. He's a chemical engineer from the University of Tennessee in Knoxville with over 30 years of experience in the chemical industry. So he's got some great experience with high hazard processes that I'm sure he's dying to share with us. He lives in the greater Atlanta area where he's a freelance process and dust hazards analysis consultant. Welcome, Mike. Anything to add to my very short distillation of your career? Uh, you just left out highly paid. But other than that, it was pretty correct. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, great. All right. So we're going to talk about dust hazard analyses and kind of really there's there's a lot of a uh, lot of ways we could go with combustible dust. We've done I think we've done one or two podcasts in the past about them, but we haven't spent a lot of time delving into the basics of a dust hazard analysis. So uh, if you're amenable, I thought that's where we'd start. That sounds great. All right. Sounds good, Rob. Okay. So my first question is, you know, just to get us going here is why do we need to do dust hazard analyses? Well, you know, the answer to that is always uh, you have to comply. And after Imperial Sugar happened in 2008, dust became a uh, highlight in OSHA's new enforcements. They actually put out an NEP on dust. You mentioned Imperial Sugar. I know about Imperial Sugar. I would be willing to bet there are some out there who don't necessarily know what happened uh, at the Imperial facility, Imperial Sugar facility. So can you give the high spots? I sure will. I'll give the high spots, but I always recommend people go look at the wonderful video the Chemical Safety Board did. But the yeah. high spots are was there was a sugar packaging facility, sugar refining facility in Savannah, Georgia, that over time had made uh, changes to their sugar conveying system, even up to the point of enclosing it. But they weren't doing a good job of cleaning up and removing the sugar. In fact, by closing their uh, conveyors and things, they created a greater issue when they had their explosion in 2008. I'm just going to say several people died. I can't remember the exact number I used to know, but yeah, a lot of people died it. and it put d combustible dust on the map. There had been some incidences before and there have been some incidents since internationally that are actually of greater magnitude than that one. But that's probably one of the standalone high water, you know, probably not quite to black swan, but close event in uh, the combustible dust arena. Yeah. And I don't remember the the exact statistics on fatalities and, and injuries, but when I say, or when we say it was an explosion, it was an explosion. It was like, it was like a bomb went off. And I, like you, I highly recommend people go and take a look at that CSB video because they did a, a good job of explaining. So we're talking, you know, the, the big event that kind of started, started or kick, say kickstarted, catalyzed the, the movement to better control combustible dust was sugar. 
it wasn't some super hazardous chemical. It wasn't some like something, some weird exotic material. It was sugar. Okay, so I didn't mean to derail you, but thank you for that um, okay. that, that little primer there for um, imperial sugar. So let's go back to the original question, which was why do we need them? So imperial sugar happens, then what? OSHA put out an NEP later, but actually what came out of the lot was a lot of updates in the NFPA, the National Fire Protection Association guidelines. It took them a while, but they came out with the fundamentals of combustible dust, NFPA 652, which really... Uh, I guess, reset a lot of combustible dust focus. Though they, there had been industry-specific NFPA guidelines for years in the area of agriculture, uh, wood, uh, metal powders, and I call it et cetera, but it's pretty much polymer and chemicals and pharma, right. which right. is NFPA 654. Okay. So imperial sugar and, and other events that happened, you know, kind of like like we, we always say Bhopal was one of the big catalysts for PSM. So NFPA comes out with requirements within 654, 652, et cetera, some of those other related standards. And so where does the idea from a dust hazard analysis look like? Where, uh, where does it come from? Well, I mean, actually, it, it comes out of the process safety arena from the uh, process hazards analysis element in process safety, which is element number three. So a dust hazards analysis is and is not like a process hazards analysis. Some people do them exactly like PHAs. I typically will do sometimes, depending on what a client wants. But there are some subtle differences, some not so subtle. Uh, you do have more of a compliance edge when you talk about doing a, a DHA, or typically a, a, a PHA, a process hazards analysis, is more freeform thinking based on your drawings and your experience. With DHAs, you do need someone who, who's very familiar with your particular NFPA industry-specific guidelines as well as the 652 overarching guideline. Mm-hmm. So similar to, to PHAs, I think I want to delve a little bit more into what some of those expertises are that 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 somebody doing a DHA should have. But let's um let's just go back and you know let's assume I don't know what a PHA is. I've been told, hey, hey Rob, your site's got to comply with NFPA 654. What are the basics of what I need to have? You know, what do I need to do in order to kind of get that DHA kind of from, you know, from start to finish, and obviously you don't get into too many of the details, but what are some of the things that I need to start doing? Well, for sure, you need to determine if your dust is combustible. So okay. a lot of times that will require you to do uh, combustible dust testing. There are several different companies that do that. You know, you can mention those if you'd like. But I also tell people before you do that, look at what you're conveying, storing, or reparticularizing, because there are some dust they're combustible. You may want to get them analyzed for other reasons. We can talk about that a little bit later in the podcast. But if you're if you're handling sugar, you have to do a dust hazards analysis. Yes, that data would help in the DHA, but it may not. I have done DHAs without that data okay. because some things are naturally combustible. Wood, wood is a combustible dust. Uh, I mean, right. unless your unless your uh, dust is a very large particle, most of those things are, are don't have to be analyzed for you to do your DHA. They do have to be analyzed for other elements in combustible dust uh, work. So just talking about analyzing and and that's really where you're talking. You, you get a sample of it, you send it out to a lab, and you get back such things as like a KST, which 
and I am by no means an expert in it, but is kind of a measure of how bad would how explosive is it and how bad it Absolutely. would it get, right? I think it's maybe a rate of change. You, you're going to get back a get back a P max, which is I think the within the pressure apparatus what the maximum pressure was. So the higher that is, the worse it's going to be. So having those certainly. And I think you were kind of getting to this, you know, if you're going to design a system, you got to know those. You got to if you're going to if you're going to buy if you're going to buy a dust collector for X material that the people giving you that are going to need that information to give you a proper piece of equipment. But what I think I hear you saying is that you don't necessarily need that for the dust hazard analysis because you could just assume, yes, this is this is combustible. Let's move on with our analysis. Right. Right. I mean, you can just do the simple, uh, a lot of places, the simple go, no go test, which just gives you, hey, it's combustible. That I'm sure if you just did some of that, that would be the cheapest way. Then you could do the others later. On that sampling, I always encourage uh, my clients and I'm encouraged by others. You want to pull this if you already have existing dust collector systems, pulling a good sample out of your dust collector is a sampling of dust. You know, if you pull it out of the wrong place, you may think it's too big. You don't know where you get attrition or breakdown of that dust in the process. Usually in your dust collectors, cyclones, that's where you have it. And and it can be a cross section. It doesn't have to be super specific. You're wanting, you know, especially if like if you're replacing that dust collector or dust collection system, that's where you'd want to take it. That's that's what your OEM would want to see. Right. And and also that kind of gets around the issue of, you know, I've got one system with pickups all over the place getting various different types of material. That's probably the best way to get that representative sample. Right. Absolutely. Um, so, OK, so we've decided that, that we're going to do the DHA. So what what other what other information should I have to going into my DHA to provide to someone like you, you know, the consul- a consultant who's going to actually facilitate that for us? Well, I'm going to give you the minimal that I'm going to give you the if we're dealing with, you know, the Fortune 500 company that's got engineers and all that. So I do, I do yeah. with a lot of clients that uh, their documentation requirements at their site are not very high. So, you know, sometimes it's a building layout. It's a description of what they're doing. It's some information uh, from the process. I've actually done a DHA with that that little of an information. But if they do have it, information on the equipment, information on the dust collector, the saws or grinders or mixers, you know, whatever that that always helps. Uh, building layouts. If the uh, client is electrically classified, it's good to have those drawings and know that they're there. Because typically, if they don't have it, that's nearly always a recommendation to at least get that checked out. Information so, on your dust collection system, the size of it. Uh, pictures are always good. And if I go on site, you know, before we started, you and I were talking about virtual virtual projects. Mm-hmm. If I don't go on site, definitely pictures are a huge, huge help. Yeah, yeah. So le- electrical classification is an interesting one. And I like to point that out a little bit because most before people start looking at combustible dust and start getting into that, they when they think electrical classification, they think flammable liquids and gases. So, right, you know, I've got my class one, division one, division two areas, and yeah, we're all, we're explosion proof, blah, blah, blah. So we must be good enough for dusts, but that's not the case. There's a whole class two set of materials, combustible dust types of materials. And again, there's a division one and division two, depending on various aspects, right. um, as well as groups related to that. So those of you out there that aren't familiar with that, if you do have dust, um, and I've had a number of clients, I don't know about you, Mike, but I've had a number of clients where I've gone on site and they're handling dust, they're generating dust. You're talking about grinding or sawing, whatever. So they're 
they're doing all that. They've got dust literally all around and all and they've got a regular one, you know, one time outlet right next, you know, like right next to that area. That's the first thing that I look for. And you'd be surprised. Well, maybe you wouldn't be surprised, but I was surprised how often once I started looking for them, how often I see them. You you know, when you've got combustible dust, you do have to look at that at that class two electrical classification. I do it carefully. I, I look at it, but I typically make sure my client understands electrical classification is not a part of my study. You know, I, I've had more than one right. client come back and say, oh, you didn't do anything about the electrical classification. I said, well, I didn't really say, say I was going to. I mentioned, you know, if they, if they have it, if they have it or don't have it, I typically do hands off because I do some of that. I try I try to stick with more dust hazards analysis and electrical classification. I get into that some, but my preference is to stick with the, the dust hazards analysis and let another party do that. that. That goes with mine. I know I know enough about the rules, but there's, you know, there's various little stipulations that I don't get into that. I bring, I'll bring an electrical, uh, electrical engineer to actually do that, who is an expert at NFPA 70 and NFPA 497, I think, or 498, whichever one, maybe it's a different one. 499. There we go. Yeah. So I'll do the same thing. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm happy to point out, Hey, based on my understanding, you need, you need classified equipment here and you don't have it. Uh, but go, you know, get somebody to actually put your drawings together. The simple comment is if your dust is leaking everywhere, I mean, if you're bearing instruments and electrical things in dust, there's a high probability that you need to be electrically classified. And yeah. that, that can really remake your day for you. <laughs> well, it can, and it can be very expensive to retrofit that. So, okay, so let's move on from electrical classification. There's a whole, I, we could spend a whole uh, a whole episode talking just about that. You talked a little bit about what the differences are, but so when I think of a, of a, of a PHA, right, a process hazard analysis, we've got a process, right? We split it up into nodes for each of the nodes, we use some sort of methodology of what if a has op or two of the most uh, you know ones that we use most often. We brainstorm some sort of of a list of what could go wrong, and then we say, well, what would the consequence be? How bad would that be? What's the severity? And then what's the likelihood we get a risk? We look at safeguards, and then we say, what's the residual risk? And then we say, do we need recommendations? So in a nutshell, there's our PHA process. So. With that as a background, how does the DHA differ from what we what what people probably you know listening um, out in podcast land? How does the DHA differ from from what we normally see in a PHA? Well, it, it doesn't have to. Most time it will, but like I said, I think some of the ways it would differ. Um, you do get into more initiating events. I think I think with dust things are more standard. You know, uh, the standards themselves talk a lot about ignition source control. So a lot of times your initiating event will be defined in NFPA 652. So okay. when I do do it like a PHA, I do, I do it a lot like a PHA, but I do kind of get back to those basic ignition sources that are lined out in NFPA 652, I think in the others as well. And so they'll be kind of the initiating events. And then the causes will be what the client has, you know, a trap metal and a grinder, no magnets uh, in a inlet feed of a wood plant, you know, so so the cause can be varied, but those ignition sources are fairly common. So you, right. you can you can set those up and then your consequence is going to be a fire or an explosion. I, I, I do try to help 
my client, more times than not, you're going to be dealing with a fire than an explosion. Uh, I just, uh, yes, uh, imperial sugar happen. We get explosions. But if you look at the uh, combustible dust incident databases, that's a mouthful. Yeah. Some some people, you and I both know, collect those for us and they're, they're real handy. Most of the time you see a fire. You know, yeah. most of the time we, we deal with fires. So that's going to be you your see like a flash. You see a flash. You see a little bit of a little bit of heat. You see a little bit of a pressure wave can do damage, certainly. But Absolutely. I think part of the problem, part of the problem with Imperial Sugar, and you mentioned it when you were describing it, was the leaking. So they had a lot of uh, they had secondary and tertiary and whatever the fourth level explosions, because an explosion caused a cloud to go up, another explosion, another cloud went up and it just kind of kind of daisy chained and, and kind of domino effect like that. Okay, so you're taking your initiating events kind of from NFPA and you're using whatever the client has for their equipment and their for their, their specific um, scenario. Are you also doing some sort of a risk analysis based on severity and likelihood? Sometimes, sometimes not. Sometimes right. uh, there's not there, uh, but we know there's a gap. Some, and this is where it differentiates from a PHA. If you know, and that's where you have to bring back in your NFPA 652 in your particular industry-specific guideline, if you talk about a scenario, I'm always running that through my head. If I know there's a gap, uh, we don't have isolation, we don't have dust collection, we're not electrically classified, they're smoking all over the plant, which is rare these days. They're using metals besides carbon steel, you know, possibly, you know, non-conductive instead of conductive. I think I got that right. That's what I get yep. for one of those scripts. But uh, metal. Uh -huh. So there's, there's all kinds of things that, you know, you, you have to kind of go back to the standard. Whereas with a PHA, it's all on the team. This right. is where you, this is where a DHA facilitator has to know a little bit more than just the methodology. They, they do have to be very comfortable with the NFPA guidelines. Yeah, when we so when we do PHAs, right? We're I mean, one of the benefits of having ha, having someone like like us, like you know, like someone from Amplify or somebody with what you do, do a PHA is that we've done enough of them that we're able to kind of bring all of that to the table. But it's not required to do P, all that you're all that's required is that you have a facilitator that knows the methodology, right? which is very generic. It doesn't matter, you know, whether you've got a small little, you know, paint mixing operation or a large petrochemical process with distillation columns and, you know, all that stuff. You can get trained on the, on the methodology and then go do your PHA. So what you're saying is that really, if I'm going to do a DHA, I've got to go to, I've got to bring some expertise with the current, the current NFPA standard for, Absolutely. so this is NFPA 552 and or 54 and the other ones related to the metals and the agricultural stuff and the woods. I mean, depending on what, where you're doing the DHA. Absolutely. Right. So you've got to be an expert on that going into the DHA. And, and it's always nice to have it, you know, now that NFPA allows you to subscribe to their plan, you know, it's a little easier to get to. I actually have it out when I'm doing the DHA. If I'm doing it virtual, the client never sees it, but I have it because I am a mature, experienced engineer, but I'm also mature and experienced. So sometimes it's good to have that to, to go look it up real quick or during a break, I can check something. Uh, I found the guidelines, once you get used to them, they're really easy to go through. They're pretty well yep. written and yep. um, it's important to understand those. And then secondly, like in a PHA, 
the person does need to understand basic dust handling. They don't have to be an expert, but you got to understand yep. there's going to be cyclones and dust collectors, bag houses. You got to understand yep. the type of size reducing equipment, you know, a little understanding of hot oil systems and dryers. Uh, again, not an expert. I wouldn't call myself an expert on those things, but I, I've worked in a lot of n- enough industries that I have a basic knowledge of all, all that. And where I don't have it, I have to get it before I go see my client because, you know, there are sometimes a client will come with me and uh, I've not done what they do. It happens on occasion, not often. (laughs) You know, if you bring that level of understanding, the basics of how dryers work and dust collectors and cyclones, you bring that, then you just go and you can just absorb, you know, almost like download their process relatively quickly. If you do have somebody who's trying to do, and it's the same thing for PHA. And that's why within Amplify, we try to bring on team members that have industry experience, not just consulting, but also, you know, being an engineer, process engineer in an operating area so that they know, you know, what different types of pumps are and what different types of heat exchangers and, you know, how reactors are generally built and stuff like that. Well, another item I want to just touch on real quickly about a DHA that makes it uh, much different than a PHA. When you think about a, a PHA, a process hazards analysis, we're, we're mainly thinking of what's going on inside of vessels, inside of pipes. But with a dust hazards analysis, it's, it's as important what's going on around the equipment. What type of building are you in? Housekeeping has to be, you know, reviewed. That's where yeah, I mean, for a process hazard analysis, I do sometimes do a tour. Sometimes I don't because we're not on site with COVID. Well, I mean, yep. tours are destroyed. Yeah. But you do need an understanding of what the site looks like or yep. your DHA could be it could look bad. You could assume it's all clean and then you show up and go, you know, it's up to your ankles. And I've seen it up to my ankles, you know, in, in whatever dust. So Wow. That's that's a lot of dust, especially when like the I think if I recall correctly, like the level of concern in NFPA is like a, is a 32nd of an inch, I think, which is a paperclip. So right. over a five area of five, five percent of the area. Yes, sir. Right. Right. So if you're up to your ankles and some of it, man, that's that that can't that can't bode well. OK, so you may or you may not actually do an, an actual like a risk ranking. But at some point you come out of this with recommendations, right? Yes, sir. It, and are those recommendations, based on what you're saying, it seems like those recommendations may be primarily to, you know, hey, here, you need to comply with this part of NFPA code. Is that generally where the, where the recommendations take you? A, a lot of them. You know, when I first did this, I looked at that and referenced them. I try to write out my recommendations where they're actionable, where they have to go do something. And sometimes, yeah, they have to go do another study. Like we said, I'm not going to spend any time on electrical classification comes to the top of the list. That's something almost you either have to revalidate what you did 15 years ago or do it. You know, uh, you right. haven't done it. Other things yeah. you have to analyze are typically, are your dust collectors the right size? Yeah, they were in 1972, but you've grown a lot and added a lot. So, and that, you know, that's another thing a client will, will get up back onto me about. Oh, you weren't going to, you weren't going to evaluate the size of my dust collector. I, no, there was there's no engineering involved in this. It's all yeah. qualitative. That's a whole different ball game, right? Right. That's NFPA 68 and uh, 69. And I don't do those yet either. I've thought about it. But again, I'm sure you will say, I will say myself, with combustible dust, I stay plenty busy. And with process safety, plenty busy more. So if there's folks out there that do that, you know, I, I will tell people, I would suggest a small engineering firm. I, I just think that's best. If you're buying a piece of equipment, actually, the OEM should validate that it's compliant with those if it's new, but it's never a bad idea to check that analysis. 
Yeah, my experience at this point in in Amplify's you know life cycle, whatever, we've we've actually got some in some internal competence there, but that's engineering. You're like yeah. really doing engineering that people are going to build things with, and so therefore there's a level of liability that comes with that. And so uh, mostly what I do is I say, hey, I've got some trusted partners that I can send you to to uh, to to help you with that. But um, no, we're we're doing this is all qualitative. All right. So. <laughs> Okay, so we come out of this and we've got some recommendations now in the PHA world, right? We've got recommendations that come out of a PHA if you're talking for a PSM facility or an RMP facility, right? The regulations are pretty clear about what you need to do. You've got to, you know, have a plan. You've got to have due dates. You've got to assign responsibility. You have to blah, blah, blah. So you've come in, you know, we've done that. We've done the DHA. Mike, you've sent me the report. Am I done? And two pieces, I guess, two, I, I know I'm not done because we have recommendations. So obviously the answer to that is no, we're not done. So I know obviously I'm going to have to do some of the recommendations. Are there requirements relative to that? And then the second thing that I want to throw out there is in PHAs, we've got to revalidate, you know, at least every five years. Is there a requirement within NFPA for revalidation? So that's kind of two questions. Sorry about that. No. So if I remember, and I think some of the updated NFPA guidelines make sure you address the recommendations. Uh, they actually, I think, have some wording in there. Since I treat them so much like process safety, I don't, I don't know the wording like I should. But you know, in the all these NFPA systems, there's a management system, so you have to manage your records and all that. And and yep. I always encourage people: do not forget about Chapter Eight in all these guidelines because. Right. That's an easy, easy trip for an OSHA person to just walk in, not knowing anything about anything except paperwork, and yep. you can, they can walk out with your with your check, you know, or or at least a, an NOV. Uh, so yeah, you do have to handle that. Now it's funny you say that. Some industries do require revalidation, some don't. I don't okay. remember right off the top of my head, but I'm highly confident, and I think it's NFPA 664 for wood. I don't think it's got a revalidation yet, but the other ones do. And maybe 652 has it. So mm -hmm. if 652, the overarching, has it, then it supersedes the industry specific. So okay. most industries do have to revalidate after five years. So not only do we have to follow up with our recommendations and have our management system for all that, and actually one point I want to make about the management system is that those management system requirements are always retroactive. So if you've got a facility that was built in 1970 and NFPA comes out with a revised version of 652 and they have a retroactive requirement, yeah, you still have to, you you can't say, oh, that wasn't in the 1969 version of this, which I don't even think it existed, but, <laughs> um, but it's retroactive. So regardless of the size of your facility, um, and this really comes back again to OSHA's ability to come in and use RAGA gap NFPA is considered ragged gap. So boom, now you suddenly you've got yourself into a compliance situation. And as you say, an NOV, because you weren't doing the management system aspect of it. So just paperwork can trip you up. Well, not only the racket gap, the codes, code and standard side, they can get you a lot because a lot of that management systems based on the general duty clause OSHA as well. Yeah. So, yeah. so they yeah. can get you with that wide, expansive part of uh, their uh, enforcement powers. Well, before we head off, any anything to add about 
DHAs that you want to make sure that people know when they're saying, oh boy, what do I need to do? Well, two things I want to add is anyone who handles any kind of dust has to determine whether their dust is combustible. That is uh, being missed a lot because I'm not, I'm busy, but I'm not floored yet. And if everybody was doing what they needed to be doing, I would be floored and could not even breathe. So you you have to determine that your dust is not combustible. That is part of NFPA 652, and I think the industry is specific as well. And that's easy. I mean, there, there, there are things that will tell you it's not, or you may have to get it tested. Secondly, there is another body out there that is pushing for dust hazards analysis, and it's not OSHA, uh, and it's not your fire marshal. It's your insurance company. I have done several in the last bit that are insurance based because insurers don't want their property burned down or blown up. So just because you think OSHA is you know, only going to audit one out of 100, one out of a 50, one out of 20 folks, your insurance company may come back and ask you to do this. So you know, just be aware of that. Okay, great. Well, hey, this has been great. You've answered some of my questions. I've been around combustible dust for a long time. And, you know, there's always more kind of to learn with this. So I'm going to go back to the original point that you made, which was listeners out there, if you have not gone to the CSB, the Chemical Safety Board video for Imperial Sugar, you owe it to yourself to do that, to see the magnitude that can happen. It's probably not going to happen because as Mike, as you said, you know, mostly we've got like flash fires and stuff like that, but it can happen and people, you know, need to understand that. So before I do my closing, Mike, I just want to throw it out for you. You know, how can people get a hold of you if they want you to do a DHA or they want uh, want to learn more about uh, DHAs and how you can help them? Well, absolutely. The best way is just to email me at processesmatter at gmail.com. I'm a little new out there, so I don't have all the, the webbing and stuff yet. I hadn't, hadn't needed. So uh, that's uh, processesmatter, plural, at gmail.com. Or feel free to call me at 678-815-7678, 678-815-7678. But since I am a guest here, I would always urge you to go with Rob and his company first. You know, I find them a valuable partner. We've we've partnered together on things and uh, their expertise is deep and, you know, they do good work. And I, I appreciate having partners like that. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. And yeah, absolutely. We will. We'll make sure that we put your contact information on the show notes page for this episode. And yes, as you say, you can always reach out to us and we'd be happy to help you uh, get in touch with Mike or however else we can help you. So, Mike, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And as always, we appreciate you listening to our podcast. If you are listening right now on our website uh, and you want to take us to go, then you can find us on Apple Podcasts or any other platform for podcasts that are out there. Uh, If you have a comment about this week's episode, if you have an idea for a future episode or a question about anything process safety related, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a voice message using the link in our episode description, or you can shoot us an email at podcast at amplifyconsultants.com. And until next time, be safe out there. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Amplify Your Process Safety. Head to our website, amplifyconsultants.com, to find our show notes and other resources. Thank you for joining us in our mission to ultimately save lives by advancing process safety right here on Amplify Your Process Safety. Until next time.